Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena and good morning New Zealand. It's 9.03 on another glorious Olympic Friday. We hope it's been such a great week, a great fortnight really to be fair. Uh, and we've got uh, a massive test match coming up over the weekend as well at Eden Park. So plenty to talk about this morning, plenty to reflect on. And that uh, will, is what we will be doing with our first guest, John Andrews. Uh, John is uh, a former New Zealand cyclist, a Commonwealth Game and Olympic re- representative. Uh, but right now he's uh, happy because he's the father of Elise Andrews, who uh, last night picked up a silver medal at the Velodrome in the women's Kieran. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, so we'll be talking to a proud dad, I'm sure, very, very shortly. Christina Eddy from Tokyo. Uh, she's been working for Sky Sport over there. And uh, her role has been uh, alongside uh, Lisa Carrington, uh, the Kuanuas and the Rowers. Uh, she drew the right rein there. There's no doubt about that. Um, Angus Ta'aval, All Black, uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night. He'll be coming off the bench, Angus. Uh, he'll be talking to us uh, around about 9.43 this morning. Uh, and Mertz, straight after 10 o'clock, Andrew Mertz. And a real big surprise just after 11 o'clock, uh, Nick Willis, the man himself, one of our greatest ever athletes, uh, who finished up last night. So a reflection time for Nick Willis. Uh, that'll be a special interview indeed. Uh, looking forward to a really busy morning here uh, on SENZ. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, on the back of another glorious four-medal day in Tokyo, thanks to Lisa, Tom, Elise and Campbell. And yes, we are also on a first-name basis on the show. It might be easy to forget a certain game of rugby tomorrow night at Eden Park and to go with it, a pretty damn special milestone. Well, we haven't. The largest spotlight at the Garden of Eden will shine brightly on the smallest man on the field with the biggest presence on the field. For the hundredth time, Aaron Smith will wear the all-black jersey, bend down and touch the playing surface as part of his ritual as he enters the field of play and busily get on with the business at hand. He'll probably lead the team out, and he'll probably lead the Harker as well, and he will definitely bark loudly at his troops, exerting them forward, and he will definitely torment the referee. And to celebrate the occasion, he will more than emerge a winner again at Eden Park. He should... If, if all is true to form, he should be too. Hell's teeth. Uh, he wasn't even born the last time the Wallabies smiled there. Aaron Smith is a master of his craft. Exceedingly skillful, ultra successful, and hugely popular with fans and teammates alike. He seldom doesn't deliver, and for many years has been deemed the best at his craft in the world. His all-black life began back in 2012 against Ireland, and from his first slick pass, the man of Nati Kahununu descent, has maintained such high standards, he's pretty much had a mortgage on that number nine jersey. So yes, he will be out there for us for the hundredth time. He'll join the famed hundred club and uh, with a huge grin later in the evening, we will be wearing that exclusive silver cap reserved for only the elite. And all that from a little 
building hairdresser. Not bad, eh? Zealand to come around. It's Brisbane and Kelsey Mitchell, the New Zealand, and now into second place. Elise Andrews, it's looking good for the Dutch woman out in front. Brisbane and Andrews, who's it going to be? Here they go. It's Brisbane who's going to take gold for the Netherlands. Andrews gets silver for New Zealand. A brilliant, brilliant ride. Elise Andrews, can you scarcely believe what you have <laughs> just done? No. <laughs> I can't stop crying. Keep crying, <laughs> you can cry, you're an Olympic silver medalist. Ooh. 907 here on SENZ. Man, there was tears uh, all around the place last night uh, with that interview, but uh, joy with that performance. I'm sure there were a few tears in the Andrews household back here as well. Uh, good morning, proud father John Andrews, yourself a Commonwealth Games uh, medal winner and Olympic cyclist as well, but at the moment, very, very proud, I'm sure. Oh, super proud, and uh, it almost makes me cry listening, <laughs> listening to that audio. Um, yeah, just super proud. She's an awesome girl. She is an awesome girl, and she's an awesome cyclist, and she proved that to the world last night. Uh, that that was yeah. uh, an, an out. Uh, I'm not sure uh, everyone thought it was uh, clearly came from nowhere because uh, she did do it the hard way through uh, the repercharge charge system. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's um, it's funny how the Karen works. It, it's um, you know, it's so dynamic, and there's uh, you know, there's a lot happens. There's a high potential for crashes. Um, and there's a bit of luck. Like you, you get you draw um, a, a card electronically at the start, and you know where your position is in the lineup can change the tactics of the race. And then the way that the Tokyo Velodrome is shaped, it was actually really hard to ride from the back. Um, so even just getting to the front was like a race, and then trying to hang on. <laughs> it's um, well, well that yeah, makes it, it makes it even better, John, doesn't it? It makes it even better because she drew five by my reckoning. Yeah, yeah, she did. And, you know, Elise is, you know, she's a special athlete. She, she's got an amazing mix of speed um, and endurance. Like, she can, she can hang on um, so well. So her ability to kind of ride hard, get from the back to get to the front and then hang on, um, you know, got her through. And, um, you know, it was, it was quite amazing. The, the first ride, the heat that you mentioned, Smithy, you know, it actually kind of gets easier as it goes on because in the heat, the very first ride, um, you know, only the first two went through and everyone else had to go to the repercharge, charge, which she, you know, Elise won. But Elise is a smart kid, so she, she learnt from that first ride in the heat that if I'm not near the front and in the action in the first two or three girls, then it's going to be really difficult. So I have to use all my strength to, to get there and, and, um, and, and make it happen. What was the vibe like where you were watching, John? Oh, we, um, uh, Lisa's great-grandmother is... Uh, she's got two great-grandmothers that are still on the earth in their kind of mid-90s. So um, we were around there at the grandmothers with the Sky Sport sort of on. And um, the great-grandmother was there, the grandparents and Ange and I, the proud parents and, um, you know, brothers and sisters and everything. And we were just 
screaming at the TV. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty, pretty amazing. It's a great, it's a, that's a great story of, of a dynasty, really. I mean, um, so mm. uh, we saw so many tears. Uh, we could hardly, she could hardly turn the tap off. So I would imagine <laughs> there would have, uh, were some pretty wet handkerchiefs where you were too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's been, it's just kind of a bit surreal, and especially like even waking up this morning and kind of realizing that she's only the second female cyclist from New Zealand to to win a track medal, you know, behind the, the, the great Sarah Alma and that's um mm. you know, that's it's just incredible in itself. Like it's it's so hard to win and it's so hard to win an event like the Karen. Um it's yeah, it, it is kind of mind boggling. And yeah, definitely a few uh wet handkerchiefs, Smithy. <laughs> yeah. Hey John, I can appreciate that. Um I mean you know, I've been lucky enough to, to have a son that's worn the silver fern as well, not to the same level of success uh, as uh, your wonderful daughter, mm. but uh, it's sort mm. of, a, it's an interesting thing. You think you've achieved a little bit yourself, uh, but it, it's a totally different feeling, isn't it? And, and it's sort of, what you've done sort of all of a sudden seems to mean next to nothing. Yeah, yeah, and mate, you know, it's uh, Barcelona for me is, is almost 30 years ago, and Elise actually rides faster now than I, than I could ever ride. <laughs> so um, yeah, she's uh, she's blown anything that I've ever done uh, completely out of the water. That's for sure. I wouldn't even be competitive against her. Um, <laughs> I put, put that down to te- I put that down to technology, John. I, I put that down to technology, don't you? Yeah, there's a wee bit of that. Yeah, there's a wee bit of that. We're a lot smarter about um, what we know. Uh, now we're training as well. Like we've come a long way, and um, you know, I and mean, when you think about it, Smithy, like all the people that helped me, you know, the coaches that I was involved with through my career, and um, you know, I pass that knowledge on to Elise and, and a lot of other athletes, cyclists as well. And it's you know, so it's a lot of us that have, you know, the, we've got a slice of that medal. Like it's, it hasn't just magically happened. It's a, it's a lot. A lot of people over a lot of time that, that have, you know, had some input. And, yeah. Well, she's born in Christchurch. Uh, you spent a lot of time in, uh, spent a lot of time in, in Wanaka, of course, down south. It's a long way from there to Cambridge, but uh, she made yeah. the uh, the commitment to go there. And obviously, at that point, that uh, cycling was was very much on her mind. How did she originally get into the sport? Um, well, and. She, um, and your mum, my, my wife, um, sitting here with me, uh, is a fantastic mountain biker. She was a, a you know, national champion um, level international mountain mm-hmm. biker and multi-sporter. And then, you know, my experience in track cycling and, um, you know, having a bit of road. Um, so we've had cycling in the family for a long, long time. And, you know, we used to love just getting on our mountain bikes with the kids down at Wanaka and, and riding on the trails and just having fun together and, um, at least did a lot of sports, but um, it was when, you know, she was riding on a mountain bike out one day with us, and she was giving me a bit of a sprint finish to um, back to the the car or something, and uh, she had it in her biggest gear, and was riding uphill, and I was kind of riding alongside her, laughing, kind of knowing how much it was going to hurt, like trying to sp- sprint against a dad as a 13 year old in, a, in the biggest gear on her bike. Um, but she never slowed down. Like she, it, <laughs> she was so strong, e- even as a kid. It was like, wow, if we can get Elise on a bike, then, 
um, you know, there'll be something pretty special. So, but we we never we never pushed her because you know she had a she you know she it wasn't her first choice of sports as a kid like um, so pushing her into it would never was never going to work. So she did lots of different sports. And um, we just kind of nurtured her along the way, and kind of nurtured a love, a love for what she was doing. And then um, when she became successful at it, and it kind of just fired a spark in her, that she said, "Well, you know, I can, I can do this by myself, and actually, I'm really good at it." So um, it just took on a life of its own at that point. Mm. That's a wonderful story. It really is of uh, well of. of a breeding initially and the enthusiasm of parents to get your kids to do something but not necessarily point them in the area that you succeeded but uh, just naturally it, it's sort of yep. fallen into place uh you know it yeah. is it's really cool john um she, she's um she's of course not finished and somehow she has to dry the eyes and, and get focused again <laughs> because uh tonight she's back in business around six thirty new zealand time uh, uh with kirsty james in terms of the sprint qualifying how, how do you think she's yep. going to be able to manage to pick herself up and with that confidence uh, how how do you feel yep. about this this particular event well it's um you know sprinting is kind of my first love i i guess and um sprinting kilometer riding but the, the women don't have a kilometer um and it's not an olympic event anymore um i, I was in barcelona for sprint and kilo time trial and uh you know it's Elise is, is kind of new to sprint. She's a little bit green in terms of tactical, tactical nous, but she's got so much gas and so much form that if she can do what she's been doing in training um, tonight and qualifying, she's going to go very, very well. I think she'll um, she'll turn a few heads uh, for sure. And you know she's got a good team around her. So last night when we we talked to her, um, Elise is on the massage table and she done all the right things and you know had her protein drink after a race and then had her drug test and some food and then on the massage table and she said her legs felt fine so um we just have to cross our fingers and hopefully she got some sort of sleep last night <laughs> <laughs> oh john it's a it's a great story uh thank you so much um uh, for joining us this morning and reflecting on on what it was like for you um and, and a little yeah. bit too more in depth about elise as well and to, to you and your wife and to your extended family as well, um, we're so happy for you. Uh, it's just, right. it's a great story, man, and let's hope it continues, um, you know, in the next day or so. Yeah, yeah, and she, thanks, Smithy. Like, and she's only 21. Like, Elise is a great kid. She's obviously super determined, and if she wants to keep on going in the sport and, and is loving what she's doing, um, there's no telling, you know, what's in the future for her, but it'll be, it'll be good, I'm sure. Well, look, we're we're hoping that she wants to continue, and uh, if that's the case, and she goes forward, and it's only three years, John, then I'd get out my French dictionary if I was you, because um, it could be a very special occasion over in Paris as well. But the short term is tonight at six thirty, and we'll be looking forward to that as well. Nine eighteen here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, hopefully straight, straight across to Tokyo to speak to uh, a, a lady who's really, I think, had the best job in terms of the Olympic team of anyone, particularly in the media. On the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
before COVID struck. She said she was in the best form of her life. That was the World Championships in 2019 and nothing seems to have changed in the meantime. She still leads already. She's New Zealand's most successful female Olympian and equal gold medalist. Her haul is extraordinary. She is leading at the moment, half a boat length ahead. A medal here. That would make Carrington the best. Still work to do. And she comes to the line. She is New Zealand's most successful Olympian of all time, Lisa Carrington. You're simply the best. It's 9.24 here on SENZ. The more times you hear that uh, Tina Turner music, you think it's a little bit corny, but if ever it applied to anyone, uh, it applies to Lisa Carrington. Uh, and the, the young lady who's probably the luckiest in the media of all New Zealand media over there in Tokyo at the moment is, is Christina Eddy on behalf of Sky TV there. Uh, Christina, good morning. Uh, man, have you, have you pulled the right number out of the hat over there? Because you've got the most successful story of all the Olympic dreams. Oh, I absolutely have, haven't I? I've, it's just a dream come true. I think yesterday I actually took a moment a little bit after the day, and I did it the same actually um, after the 52 minutes with, at the rowing um, just earlier last week. And I just sat in the grandstand and thought, man, what have we witnessed today? Because that is something so, so special, isn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely the luckiest person, that's for sure. Well, you, you know, the rowing was one thing, and uh, it seems so long ago because we've had so much success at the, the very same venue since. Uh, you know, with Emma Twig, right the way through, uh, we, all of a sudden we strike this girl who just seems unstoppable. Uh, what is the reaction amongst the other media when they see uh, Lisa Carrington's performance? Um, there's a lot of congratulations, which is funny. You know, as you stand there wearing all the New Zealand kit, everyone just sort of jumps up and down and goes, wow, congratulations, New Zealand. Um, but even when we arrived before she started competing, when you go into the media, like the um, mix zone media, and there's so many people in there, and even on the bus, on the way there, on the media bus, all people are talking about back home to their own countries, on their on their own TVs, is Lisa Carrington's name. You know, they're all forecasting back in foreign languages and all you hear is Lisa Carrington, Lisa Carrington, Lisa Carrington. So that's something you didn't actually necessarily hear at the rolling, of course, but yeah, that just, she is absolutely mind-blowing and it takes quite a bit to get your head around her as an athlete and then they all crowd around you as you're doing her um, and as soon as she walks away, they just go, wow, what an awesome talker as well, you know, and how humble is she? Um, and that New Zealand's very lucky to have such an awesome athlete right now that they can witness so that's definitely the vibe within within the um, basically the whole venue, really. Christina, it doesn't look like you know anything's an issue for her. I mean, she handles seems to handle everything around the event as well as she handles the event. That's the thing that strikes me. And the shots that you guys are bringing in shortly after she hops uh, out of the kayak, she's sitting alongside it on the jetty there. She's having a bit of chocolate. She's having a drink. She's sitting under her umbrella. She smiled. She looks like she hasn't had a race. It's just. I mean, it's just—it's just. If you were coaching someone, you'd want it to be someone with the manner and the personality, uh, the attitude of 
Lisa, Lisa Carrington, no matter what sport you were in. Oh, yeah, and we spoke to Gordon Walker, her coach as well, who's been with her along the way, um, the day after she won double gold, so before she'd won the gold yesterday. And he's he's mind-blown by her too, which I think is sort of says a lot, really, because he's worked with her for so long, he's stood beside her at all the Halberg events, you know, they've claimed so many accolades together. And then, yeah, he stood there after that day and he goes, you know, we planned for it. We planned every single minute that she gets off the water. She's got, I think she's got a good entourage of about 12 people that follow her around um, after she gets off the water and in between all those races. I mean, it was an absolute feat the day Mm -hmm. she did it twice. And um, he just sort of said, look, yeah, she is the greatest. And I'm impressed with what I see in her every single day. She's in New Zealand training, he goes, but to see her pull it off here is just something else and you know it's testament to what she's like as an athlete the ethic she puts into all of her work um but yeah i mean there is a really good team behind her too but she just doesn't yeah you're right though she doesn't i think it's a phase that even all the media around it even us asking you the questions about how much she's going for she admits his pressure she admits his nerves but it just doesn't seem to phase her so yeah she's incredible isn't she and you're a former coxswain yourself so you can you can sort of equate to the things that say happen out on the water uh it is you know it's just quite mind-blowing and the other question i guess for you uh, uh christina is do we dream of more can we possibly dream of more here i certainly hope so i mean when she jumps in that boat with three other people uh it's pretty hard to know just exactly how well they've gelled that combination in such a short period of time. Um, I haven't seen them on the international stage. Today will be extremely telling, you know, but seeing them get in the heat, how well are they working as a team? Because it's one thing to go out there and to really smash it yourself, but it's another to be able to bring a team together, a bit like, you know, the women's and men's eights. That was, that was just incredible because they've got, you know, eight people singing at that one very time and, and that in that mm. pinnacle of the five-year campaign. And let's hope that they've got the same thing with the four here. Um, but, yeah, I think actually what we're seeing with Lisa is to be able to dominate in the K1 200 metre is one thing because, you know, that's a sprint distance. Um, she's dominated it for a long period of time. That's her thing. But then to, to absolutely work on that K1 500 metre uh, and just come into it and then dominate it by half a boat length, you don't see that in these sports at these levels. Um, and I think a lot of it sometimes could come down to what the message she's sending to her competitor, to her rivals. Sorry, like when she lines up in those heats and those semi-finals, and she's out the gate like nothing else you've ever seen before. She's sending a message to all of her competitors that, oh yeah, you're still behind me. You're always going to be behind me. And I think that she has a really good mental advantage now, um, three campaigns in. So potentially that might be helping. But I mean, there's nothing. Taking away from the fact that obviously she's got the absolute workhorse engine to to do it, um, which makes her so impressive. Christina Eddy, uh, on behalf of uh, Sky TV, of course, the lucky one over there in Tokyo. Thank you so much uh, for your time this morning. I realise it's pretty early over there, so uh, yeah, great work too. Just by the by, it's been fantastic coverage and showing our best moments. Uh, your calls and texts uh, after the break. It's uh, eighty-eight thirty-three is the number. Uh, I've got facts uh, and text messages coming in uh, on the sp- on my actual printer as uh, as I'm talking to you. It's amazing. Uh, Nine thirty, it is. I better push the panic button. Here's Trudy with the news.
9.33 here on SENZ, Friday morning, another fantastic Friday to wake up to the news of success overnight with uh, our Olympic teams. We're going to be talking to uh, Nick Willis, hopefully just after 11 o'clock this morning, um, and his career is, is uh, finished in terms of the Olympics. Um, he's a really interesting guy to talk to and, and reflect on, and he's one of those blokes that you know they'll do hour-long documentaries on, but we're lucky that he's going to give us 10 minutes or so this morning. Uh, just to reflect on uh, on his final performance and briefly on on his career overall, truly a great New Zealand Olympian, been flying the flag for us for such such a long time. His uh, longevity through injury, etc., is quite amazing. Also, uh, very shortly we're going to head inside the All Black uh, camp the day before. It's Captain's Run Day. What do they actually do on Captain's Runs? Might ask Angus Tarvel that uh, at about uh, nine forty-five this morning. Uh, a few texts floating in. Um, awesome interview with John Andrews. It was, wasn't it? He was really cool uh, to get that story, that family story, which is so New Zealand. Uh, thanks, Tony from Gore. That you know, it really was uh, really special to catch up with him. I, I thought. Uh, Smithy, any ideas who will win the overall sporting award at the Murray Carrington or Halberg Halberg Awards this year? Uh, well, I think you've summed it up right there and then, Danny G. You've got it uh, on. Um, also. Uh, Eden says, morning Smithy, any thoughts on the Tanufar to upset Wellington? Paying six bucks straight head to head, I'll certainly be jumping on. Northland have plenty of super rugby experience now. Players like Tom Robinson, Sam Knox, Scott Gregory, didn't he have a good season, Scott Gregory. Josh Goodhue, uh, yeah, so they're a possibility. So send us in your text, 8833, give us a call if you want to, uh, 0800 150811. Uh, if you do, you could win an All Blacks experience, courtesy of Ballpark Entertainment. It uh, really has been quite special. Lydia Coe's been uh, oh, so Lydia yesterday. So Lydia. She was hot, hot, hot at one point on the course. Uh, and then I'm not sure whether the heat actually did get to her, but she went off the boil towards the end. She's known for her wedge play. Uh, she hit three appalling wedge shots by her own standard. Here I am, just a bum, 11 handicap golfer criticising. But I, I, get, I expect so much from her that, that I just, you know, I, I wanted to do well. And I kind of sense when she really... Gets, uh, gets it going, I think she probably could be. If she does today, she could, she could actually be a medalist. John, that's an interesting question. Uh, throughout the commentary yesterday on the golf, they were saying, they were saying that they perhaps were going to reduce it from a four-round event to a three-round event uh, on the basis that it is uh, just going to be too rough weather-wise. Have you heard anything about that? Would you know uh, anything about that as it comes through on the wire? No, I heard our golfing expert Phil Tatarangi talking about that uh, yesterday, that there was some bad weather coming in, and that's why he thought that the scoring was just so uh, brilliant yesterday that golfers were thinking, hey, I've got to go for this now because I might not get the opportunity to in the future. And that's why it was disappointing with uh, Lydia. Like, she was on fire in that front nine, like you were saying, and then just a couple of bogeys at the end. Like, she could be right in the hunt for a medal, uh, but now she's four shots uh, behind, I think, three golfers at nine under, and Nelly Quarter. I mean, she shot a nine under round yesterday, a 61, I think, was it? Or she's at 13 under yeah, and just tried. impossible to beat, surely. She was on track to break 60, uh, and... It was the most remarkable thing, and it is when you think about it, um, to, to break 60 for any golfer. Um, I think only Annika Sorenstam has, has done that to break 60 uh, and shoot 59, and she's the greatest of all time. Uh, and all of a sudden, this, this Nelly Quarter uh, from the, you know, the, the Quarter family, I digress here, the Quarter family, they say the Quarter family is the greatest sporting family in the world. Now, that's a hell of a term. Her sister, 
Jessica is the 13th or 14th ranked golfer in the world, also won a major, nearly caught his number one ranked. Brother Seb got to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon this year, quarterfinals at Wimbledon in the ATP and the French Open. Father, Peter Corder, Grand Slam winner. Mother, top 25 ATP women's tennis player. Uh, so tennis and golf, they say in some circles, the quarters uh, are the best family in the world. So uh, very, very interesting. But yeah, she, she could have broken 60. She drove it in the rough on the left. She stuck behind a tree, played out, and it ended up uh, shooting five on the par four to, to drop a shot. Uh, so yeah, it was disappointing. But for Lydia, I, I'm not sure. I mean, everyone on the golf course, they're out there for four hours, remember. It is stinking hot. They've had caddies with exhaustion. They've had all sorts of issues to deal with. Uh, and, and, of course, the players themselves are wearing ice packs in between shots, you know, cool jackets, a lot. Uh, four hours is, is a long, long time to be out there. So I'm not surprised towards the end of the round some of them are suffering a wee bit. And I, maybe, maybe that happened to, to Lydia yesterday. But tomorrow night at Eden Park, that's just the way it is with the All Blacks and the Wallabies. It seems it hasn't been... Uh, uh, since 1986 that the Wallabies have tasted success there uh, and we're really happy that uh, Angus Tataval has uh, given us some uh, valuable time this morning. Good morning, Angus. Morning, Smitty. Thanks for having me on the show, mate. Hey, no, no problem at all. Uh, and thanks for taking the time. I know it's, it's an interesting sort of a day, a, a Friday. It's a captain's run sort of a day, isn't it? What, what do you guys actually do on a captain's run? It's behind closed doors. Is that the way you want to keep it? Yeah, oh, I mean, you know, we can invite some some family and friends uh, uh, come along and, and watch the, the skippers run, but it's sort of just yeah, the, the last opportunity of the week just to to really go through our our, our structure and, and plays and what we're doing and probably the, at a lower tempo. It's it's not too intense, but it's it's just making sure we're, we're over everything. You know, we sort of start the week with a bit of clarity, build it up, and then this is the final touches. Um, you know, we we all know our roles, and and at the end of it, the boys do their lineup. Some of the boys do kicking and 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 a bit of extra skills. But yes, yeah, that final chance to to really to really go over what we're doing and make sure we're all really clear. Uh, you've been around the All Black scene for quite some time, Angus. Um, in terms of build ups, is there is there a little bit of extra edge? I know the Fijian ones were tough test matches; they were physical. But I think everyone's been looking forward to this date on the calendar. Uh, extra edge this week. Oh, you know, it's, it's definitely something that's mentioned. Um, you know, we've had we've had some old old heads coming in and just talk about what the Bledisloe means to them, and and you know, behind a World Cup, this is this is what we love to play for. Um, you know, and, and it was mentioned. I think it was at '86. You know, the last time, and it's been a long run of of, uh, of All Blacks um, holding on to this cup, and you know, there's that feeling you don't want to be that first team to to let it go, and or, or you know, or, or to ever let it go, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some extra edge. Uh, you know, we had some great physical matches against, um, you know, Fiji and Tonga, and, and just building us up for this. But we know it's, you know, it's going to be another level. And and these matches that you play against Aussie, they're always at, you know, at a at a physical, brutal, high high pace sort of sort of game. So, uh, it's been exciting, mate. Um, and you know, all the boys are really looking forward to tomorrow night. Angus Tarvel with us, um, and, and it's great that he's got some time to do that. Uh, Angus, uh, I, I look at um, uh, Greg Feek's role within the, this, the All Black co coaching setup now. Of course, uh, he's in charge of what you guys do. It's the assumption, of course, that when you get to All Black level, you pretty much know everything about your job. But I guess that's not the case. So, what are you actually, what are you working on with Feeky uh, in a week leading up to this? Yeah, I mean, especially uh, for front rowers, and you know, every 
every player is still still students of the game. I don't think we ever we ever masters of it. And, and in terms of a front row, um, you know, there's different threats posed every week we play. Um, there's a lot of little micro skills in terms of your you know how your your body shape is, um, your power, how you're setting up for your back five, your locks, and your and your flankers to push through. So this week it's it's been a lot about you know, it's still about us and, and our process and, and our setup. Um, you know, you sort of look at Australia and, and they've got different threats uh, coming through, um, guys who scrum differently. So it's just about being being really aware of, of those of those threats and, and how we can react to them and, and, you know, I suppose counteract them. But, you know, at the end of the day, we always focus on us mainly and, and that's making sure we have control in our setup. We're really connected and, and we're scrummaging as an eight. But, you know, uh, obviously Fiki... Greg's taken over Mike Cron, who's who had a you know massive part to play in in the I suppose the success of of the the All Black scrum and and forward pack and uh, Figgy's just coming in and filled that role really nicely. You know he's brought his own own little flavour and and he's had some, some success with with Ireland as well. So to to see him come in and and really keep driving those standards and you know the the little micro skills and and the little learnings every day with iPads and and that sort of thing. It's it's been awesome. Uh, Angus. All going well, I would imagine uh, you, you'd be introduced uh, at some stage in the second half, probably after 50, 40, 50 minutes. So who knows, it, it tends to change uh, a little bit from time to time. But you've got to be prepared that you might be on in the first, second, third minute as well. So if we look across um, all the front row from the Wallabies' point of view, uh, James Slipper, 103 tests, uh, Alan Ala Alatoa, 46 tests, and uh, uh, the newbie really is uh, playing a, a Morsa, uh, Brendan, uh, he is the hooker at 12 test matches. There's a lot of experience there, and these are guys you've scrummaged against before. Uh, how do you rate this Australian front row? Yeah, I mean, I suppose like I said, you know, they've got yeah, those starters. There's a bit of bit of experience, but that playing um also, you know, he's, he had a really good year with with the Reds, and you know, look look at the likes on the bench coming off. You know, Tony had a two poles come a long way, a young player in Angus Bell. Um, so I think you know what we saw with the French tests uh, going on after reviewing them is you know you've, you've got to respect them. You've got to you can't just go in there and think you're just going to walk all over them and, it, and it's going to be a, an easy cakewalk. It's it's about um, yeah I suppose knowing what 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 they're trying to do and um, you know they might try and bring a bit of an extra lean on the setup. So it's about being able to brace up and, and be prepared for that so we can still get a punch. But I mean, yeah, I, I, I definitely think they're going to pose um, some threats, and and you know, like I said before, we've been really working on looking to counter that and and try and you know, I suppose use use our scrum as a weapon. But you know, first of all, you've you've got to respect the the experience that's in there, uh, and and what they can bring. Angus, uh, what about the ball carrying aspect of being a prop these days? I, I know. You know, it's all very well to get, you know, your core work done properly, but there is an emphasis for you guys to be around the park as well, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, you, you probably look historically at uh, at props, and it's, it's been about, you know, uh, hitting rucks and, and lifting in a line-out and, and scrummaging. But the way the game's going, you know, it's it's faster, it's it's more expansive, uh, there's more space around the, around the place. And, you know, we might not always be carrying you know over 10 times a game but you need to have that skill and ability to to get the the ball in hand and and whether it's you know using your, your pass out the back or or your little tip on ball or, or that carry into contact and and there's been a real emphasis on fighting in that contact you know we've probably been a bit guilty of uh, we get into the tackle and and dropping a, a lot earlier than then maybe we could earn a few more meters so 
there's been a good you know emphasis on on building those skills and 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 just backing ourselves when we get that opportunity. I mean, you know, it's probably part of my game that I, I like to I like to to get in those positions and, and play with the ball in hand. Um, you know, in this team we've got some great ball carriers in the locks and the back row, so they're, you know they're our main guys. But you know, we're always uh, we've got to be confident and, and comfortable to step into those positions. Angus, uh, traditionally, and you, you talk to a number of props about this, they don't have a lot of respect for halfbacks, uh, to be fair. Uh, but tomorrow night, there's going to be the ultimate respect paid for for your halfback. Uh, Aaron Smith plays his hundredth; he gets the silver, the, you know, the treasured silvered cap. Uh, he's been barking at you a long time and, and all black packs for a long time. Uh, give us your impressions of, of Little Nuggy and what it's going to mean to him and to you guys, uh, him reaching that milestone. Oh, you know, I've got nothing but um, love and respect. You, know, you sort of get barked at by, by different lines and, and you have different feelings about them. But, I mean, he's been a massive part of, of all black um, success. You know, he sort of changed the game in, in terms of halfbacks and, you know, probably from where he... I remember he came up to the to the Blues to try and crack it, and you know he was told he was too small. Um, you know, like all, all these all these things against his game that that he's just gone out and, and proven people wrong and, and been at the forefront of of being the best nine in the world for a long time. So to, for him to bring up a, a hundred games, oh, there's, there's been a good buzz. You know, it's, it's been mentioned this week. Um, you know, he's a special guy, he's a big part of this team and, and culture, and I'm just fizzing to see him go out there and and, and do what he does best. You know, I don't think he's gonna change you know too much of, of how he plays he's, he's his preparation is always on point and that's what he's been showing this week so it's for him to, to go out there and, and celebrate that and I'm sure after the game the boys will get right around him Good on you Angus, uh, Angus Tarval there folks, uh, all the best mate I, I know you'll have to play an integral part uh, at some stage tomorrow night, uh, thanks very much for giving us your time this morning, much much appreciated, right uh, it's 9.52 um, and when we come back after this short break it is multi time from behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. 9.58 here, just time for a multi before the 10 o'clock news. Uh, news from yesterday's one, yes, successful. The Knights beat the Broncos, uh, $1.29. They battled for a while, to be fair, but they in the end they got out on top of them. France beat Slovenia in the men's basketball by one point. Whoa, close, $2.07 for that return. And the amazingly successful, all of a sudden, women's uh, US football team beat Australia, $1.65. If you've got an opportunity, read what Donald Trump had to say about their women's team and Megan Rapinoe, uh, who's um, uh, one of their star players, the lady in with the pink hair, he calls her. The lady with the pink hair, Donald Trump. Interesting. So you got uh, 4 bucks 40 there. Uh, tonight, the Rabbitohs will beat the Slippery Eels at $1.31. Uh, the Olympic women's football winds up with Sweden playing Canada in the grand final. The Swedes, who have been fantastic throughout, uh, they won't drop their standards. They will win at $1.80. I think that's great money. And because we've been featuring the netball all week, I've actually gone for the Mystics to beat the Mainland Tactics at a buck sixty. Uh, so they've got the home advantage at Spark Arena on Sunday afternoon. It's a buck sixty. Total return there is three dollars seventy-seven. Small fish is sweet. Small fish is sweet. Uh, but grab that one. Yes, Donald Trump and the uh, Megan Rapinoe uh, go head to head. She's quite political with her thoughts. Uh, she's always been quite demanding about the rights of, of women in sport and, and in particular. 
how how good her team as the US women's team have been over the years of course Donald Trump's bounced back and said if you're better concentrated less on politics basically concentrated more on your job and don't be such a woke outfit you would have got gold instead of bronze woke your woke outfit and you and you you lady with the pink hair he said he had a crack at her as well so yeah Donald Trump even out of power can't take the mic away from the man and he doesn't forget obviously some of his old battles that's because uh, Megan Rapinoe refused to go to the White House and celebrate their achievements interesting politics and sport sometimes it, uh, it doesn't fit sometimes it's actually quite funny 10 o'clock here's Trudy this is mornings with Ian Smith The new cap for New Zealand are number 15, Glenn Osmond, number 10, Andrew Mertens, and number 7, Josh Cronfeld. Basham, Mertens, Wilson. Mertens. Stayed on, Wilson. Got a return pass and scooted in for his first try and tests. Ah, yes, it's 10.04 here on SENZ, and that was 1995. The try scorer was Andrew Mertens on debut against the almighty Canada. Good morning from Australia, Andrew Mertens. Uh, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Can you remember that? Can you? Good, good morning. Yeah, nice to have a chat. Yeah, I can barely remember it. I mean, it was 26 and a half years ago now, so um, I can. I can actually remember the fear um, of dropping the ball when uh, when Goldie put that sort of draw and pass out to me. I was out on the left wing. I uh, managed to get out on the left flank of the field out at Eden Park, probably trying to stay away from the physical stuff. And uh, and Goldie sent the ball out, and I remember just getting one hand to it. And so luckily it stuck and uh, managed to somehow toggle up and fall over the line. So, yeah, I do remember it. I didn't score a lot of tries in my career, mate, so they're pretty easy to remember. <laughs> yeah, scored uh, a lot of points uh, and, of course, played 70 test matches for the All Blacks. But just before we get into the rugby side of things, I need to establish a couple of things. First of all, did you beat the bubble? Did you beat, uh, Did they give you an economic exemption to get into New Zealand as well? No, I, um, I, I, I didn't manage to found a tech company 20 years ago and, uh, and get on the billionaire sort of list. So, mate, uh, I missed the opportunity while it was on. I didn't anticipate, obviously, that the bubble would close again, but um, that's what's happened, and it had to happen, um, unfortunately. So uh, I haven't been back to New Zealand in 18 months now, which is a bit tough, but, um, you know, we've got to do what we've got to do, and we were looking forward to being over for, for this weekend, particularly um, to, to see the Blue Zone, of course, see the start of the, the MPC, and... Big double header, of course, on Sunday, Auckland and Canterbury, and both the women's and the men's. So, would have been a great weekend to be over there. But again, you know, got to do what we're going to do. And thank goodness we're getting the the sport being played at all, and and getting to see it on TV. And you know, being locked down now for about five weeks in Sydney, I'm sure there are plenty of worse places in the world to be locked down. To be honest, but um, you know, thank goodness for the Olympics as well. And like I say, live sport has been probably the uh, salvation for a lot of people throughout these these difficult periods. It has, uh, it has, Mertz, uh, you're dead right. Which leads me to my other question, non-rugby, before we get started. Um, Australia have 41 medals, New Zealand have 19 medals. So how many medals have you got? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's, there we go, 60, I suppose, isn't it? Um, quick, quick work out of the mass. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm sort of falling the cracks to potentially zero. I might be like completely disenfranchised, to be honest. But it's been absolutely sensational, and 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 you know, just being able to follow the, the, the modern delivery of sport is you know just we're very lucky to be able to watch every single sport that's going on. So you know, being able to tune in and watch Lisa Carrington's. Uh, golds and, and watch the cyclists yesterday with, with silvers and stuff. It's just been absolutely awesome. I mean, obviously, there's a glut of Australian um, involvement that, that you get over here, which is good too. I mean, they punch above their weight as well. Not quite as well as we do, of course, but uh, no, it's just been, been awesome to watch. And I, I don't know how we manage as, as a country our size to, to get people. I mean, they're extraordinary athletes, but how, do, how we manage to get as much success as we do is just beyond me. It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's, and we're all very, uh, very, very proud of them, um, despite where we might be living. Let's let's get into the the rugby side of things, Smurts, because uh, this has been a date on the calendar. I think everyone's looked forward to. We're, we've had the series uh, against France from Australia's point of view. Uh, what did you make uh, of the Australian side throughout that series? Did, did you feel they were on the improve? Yes, I did, and I thought they showed some some real resilience and, and mental strength to to get through that series because. Uh, you know, it was it was a good French team still. I know there, there might have been a couple of um, the their more uh, illustrious players. Um, it was well chronicled that they didn't come out after the, the top 14 final, the likes of Intermatch, etc. And Japan. Um but uh, they were still a good team, and it was a really really tough series, and particularly for the Wallabies playing that last test um, down a man when Kuroi Betty was ridiculously red carded. Um, so you know, mentally it was a really good series for them. I know the All Blacks. It was a, a very physical three matches they've had with, with Tonga and, and the two games against Fiji. But, you know, mentally, Australia, it was a different sort of a series for them over here. And, and they came through it really well. In saying that, I'm not sure the French attacked the Wallabies the same way the All Blacks will. So, you know, on a couple of occasions when they did move the ball, the French, because normally they tried to just muscle the Australians. But when they did move the ball, they carved them up a few times. And I think uh, it's going to be a very different proposition against the All Blacks. But... Um, you know, I don't think Australians are, are, are expecting too much. Even after last year when they won a game, won, won one out of four against the All Blacks and drew one, I don't think expectations still are particularly high. And, you know, a lot of that's around the fact that there are two games at Eden Park and there hasn't been a Wobby win there since 35 years ago. So, you know, they live in hope, but I don't think they're expecting too much. And I think they're still focusing more on on trying to get a really good one in Perth. So, um, you know, like I said before, at least at least these games are actually able to take place. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting tomorrow night, but I think the All Blacks have named a, a really strong team. I don't know how you could actually make it stronger with players available at the moment. So uh, they're obviously, obviously showing their intent from, from the get-go. How do you see the battle between Lolisio and, and Moonga? Both of those... Uh, players weren't guaranteed uh, the starting position uh, as uh, maybe three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Uh, other players were interested in it, uh, but Lolisia and Moonga have got uh, the nods here. How do you see that battle? Uh, well, a lot depends on the quality of the ball, of course. Um, you know, I think, and there are different halfbacks playing inside. While Aaron Smith can, can play that really nippy game around the fringes like Tate McDermott can. Um, he doesn't do it as do it as much as he doesn't need to because he's just got that bullet path. So, you know, the quality of ball coming out to, to Moonga, we expect will probably be a little bit cleaner. Uh, Lolitio has made great strides since um, since he made his test debut last last year. And, um, you know, he played in a team that didn't go particularly well on that, that night. And so he had a, had a pretty tough night. But he's been really composed through Super Rugby. 
he's got a lot of similar skills to Richie Moreland, but maybe not quite as um, as incisive with his with his footwork and with his running. Uh, maybe not quite as accurate with his kicking, but but he does have a lot of a very similar skill set. But uh, Moreland is certainly more the the more advanced and, and complete package at the moment. Lolly Seals progressing pretty well, but um, yeah, as I say, the, the, the quality of the ball that's coming to him is going to be all important. And I, I'm just not sure about the rest of the back line with the Wallabies. It just looks a little bit light when you compare it with, uh, with, with the midfield in particular with the All Blacks. I mean, Havili's been fantastic. Leonard Brown is, is extraordinary and probably one of the first guys you, you pencil in, whether it's at 12 or 13. I know he plays that bench role as well, but I just think compared to that, you know, Paisami's been been good in Super Rugby, but yet to really prove himself at, at Test level. Um, Ikikau's, you know, solid, dependable, uh, but then, you know, Callaway, I'm not sure it's his best position is on the wing. I think he's more of a, a centre or a fullback, but you know, he's, he's been put on the wing tomorrow night. Pataya's got unbelievable talent, but he's also showing a, a propensity to be fairly loose throughout Super Rugby, you know, just, uh, you know, he's a threat with the ball in hand, but then, you know, can, can make some silly decisions, can run a bit hot and cold. When he's hot, he's fantastic, but uh, you can't be too hot and cold at this sort of level. So it just looks a little bit like that back line compared to the All Blacks. It does. 45 test matches between them when you consider Aaron Smith is playing his 100th tomorrow night. Um, yeah, you're dead right in that regard. Interesting uh, Dave Rennie's uh, looking at bringing, uh, or has brought, Quade Cooper into the mix all of a sudden. A lot of experience there, choosing not to use him uh, tomorrow night. But uh, what did you make of that decision? Uh, I was, look, I think it just indicates the lack of depth um, in, in the position in, in Australia. I'm not really sure. You know, look, Renz and, and Quade himself know whether he's in, in sort of shape to, to, to play at this level. I don't think he really could expect to contribute a heck of a lot. I mean, it's been four seasons since he last played internationals and the game moves on pretty quickly. But I guess just being around as an older player and, and as a player who's, you know, um, been up against it against the All Blacks and, and certainly come in for a lot of attention and, um, you know, the experience that he will have been able to get to some of the younger ones of, you know, the intensity of the New Zealand crowd, particularly up against him. Um, but, you know, being involved in those games like the when they did the All Blacks in 2010 and stuff like that, maybe just as, as, a, as an older head. I mean, there's been a lot talked about over here, particularly with the Waratahs and Super Rugby, about the lack of um, experience that stuck around and that, you know, there was just so so much youth coming through and, you know, being able to um, access quite, you know, wealth of experience and, and, and that's obviously what Renz has wanted. So, you know, I'm certainly not one to, to second-guess that, but... Uh, I doubt that on the field, really, he could expect to make much impact. That's not his fault either. Um, not quite Cooper's fault. It's just the reality of, of how quickly the game marches on. I, I would imagine you showed quite a lot of interest in the selection of the New Zealand camp and, and what uh, Grant Fox and, and Ian Foster finally came up with it in, in that regard. Uh, are you, first of all, Moonga, I, I would imagine you, des- you feel deserved his position there. Um, but... Bowden Barrett off the bench. You, you like him off the bench. I mean, he, 2015, he was amazing off the bench. You know, we're six years down the track here. Is it, you still find that role uh, appealing for him? Yeah, yeah, I do, actually. I, I mean, only you can answer. Everyone wants to start, but also at the same time, I think players these days, it has changed. It's, it's gone far away from the old start with your best 15 sort of thing. It's a 23-player um, uh, approach, and a lot of it is probably done in reverse, as in who do we want 
on the field finishing the game off, who were our best performers at that death and, and at, at those later stages of the game versus who are our performers who we want to get in and, uh, from the start of the game. And, and you know, different players have different mental approaches to the game and can prepare differently. I actually really enjoyed towards the end of my career coming off the bench. Um, it's almost not that there was no pressure on it, but you know, you could relax through the game and then come on and, and try and add something, but without trying too hard, hopefully. So it's, it is quite a, uh, an interesting mental approach to that. And, and, you know, he's almost symmetrical in a way, Barrett's career, in that he, he started a lot coming off the bench and he's doing it now. But, I mean, you get a lot more time these days uh, in that 23-man squad coming coming off the bench. It's not like it's a five-minute token appearance. So... Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'd like as much time as he, as he can on the field if his player does want that. But um, yeah, it, it's exciting. It's a, it's a really specialised role, and it's certainly not a make up the numbers role by any stretch. So you know, you've got a job to do, and, and, and certain players are um, better mentally equipped to do that role coming off the bench than others. And, and he's, he's proved to be fantastic at it. Oh, the All Blacks tend to not find or have to find reasons to be motivated to play in the black jersey, um, to play at Eden Park and to play for the Bledisloe Cup because uh, they say, and they've always maintained outside the World Cup, it's the one that matters the most to them. But of course tomorrow night, uh, their halfback, uh, their, their little Trojan, and Aaron Smith plays his 100th and always when there are milestones floating around, that means a little bit more. Uh, how have you rated, I mean, you've followed this guy throughout his career, you know, there have been some ups and downs, goodness me, when you play that long, there always is, but uh, how have you rated him overall getting to this point? I think he's incredible. He's got to be right up there with our, our best ever halfbacks. If not the best, you know. I mean, it's a, it's very hard to com- compare errors, but as a, as a craftsman, he's just without peer. You know, the, the, the primary role of the halfback as distribution is just, you know, head and shoulders above... Everyone in the world, I think. Um, you know, I know Fafta Kirk's a fantastic halfback too, but just the pass of Aaron Smith, and, and, and you see what he brings to both the Highlanders and, and to the All Blacks, and just the extra split second of time that he gives his, his runners and stuff, and just the accuracy. You, know, you very rarely, if ever, see him have a bad game. His standards are so high, obviously, his, his preparation, which has been you know, talked about this week as well, to get himself through to this position. and He's an inspiration to the younger guys, um, always very humble as well. So he's yeah, just been extraordinary. And, and, and you're right, it does add a little bit. You shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't ever have to look for extra motivation as a player, but certainly you're, you're mindful of it when you've got a, a player who's so well-respected in the group, you know, playing a milestone match. You just do not want to let, let the side down. You don't want to let him down. So there'll be a little bit extra for that, I'm sure. At the same time, the they won't want to get too emotional about anything and, and, and keep themselves methodical and very lucid and make good decisions and, and honour them that way. So, but he's just, yeah, absolutely fantastic. The way he can thread passes through, the way he can hit players from three metres beside him through to 33 metres away from him with this, you know, the same level of pass is just phenomenal. This is a betting station, Mertz, as well. I suppose we've uh, got allegiance with the TAB. Uh, a lot of people out there would be interested to know uh, how you think it will go. I, I would imagine you probably think the All Blacks on the comments so far, but what kind of margin are you thinking? Uh, look, I don't know. I mean, Australia's pretty good on defence. They're, they're good with their gang tackles, and they're, they're pretty accurate. But uh, I think if the All Blacks play well, they can probably get away to, to you know, a, a three or four try gap. 
Um, and you know, if I said that over here, I'd get I'd get criticised for being an arrogant Kiwi. But I think I think realistically, if the All Blacks play well, they are that good to be able to to get away with that sort of a gap. And and I think this game will quickly pan out like that. The first game, the one I'm worried about more is the is the second game. You know, having two bites at the cherry for the Australians to to um, you know break the sequence of, of defeats that they've had even past. I think it's it's a little bit dangerous going into that second game, especially if they've lost the first one. Feel like they've got nothing to lose and sort of throw everything into it. Presumably, be a couple of changes with the All Blacks as well, and I think that'll be designed to you know have some edge coming into the team um, with with a handful of players who haven't played in the first game and, and want to prove themselves. So I think maybe even Foster's holding a you know a couple of guys to to come in for that second one for that reason. So that's what I'm more worried about. But you know, I think uh, I think it's, a, it's an incredibly strong team. I think they'll be very motivated to start this yeah, this new series off well tomorrow night. So I think I think I can't see the All Blacks losing. Cool. Mets, as always, wonderful to have a chat with you. Um, even if there isn't a beer involved, uh, great. Uh, enjoy the test. Enjoy the rest of the Olympics. Um, look forward to seeing you back here uh, when the bubble and the world permits, mate. Uh, Andrew Merton's with us this morning, folks. Uh, look, outstanding and uh, always a great pundit on the game as well as a former great player. 10.19 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got the panel next uh, this morning, uh, Honey Hiramia Smiler. Uh, and also, uh, we've all got James McConey. This is uh, a quality panel with some interesting thoughts. We'll be back shortly. The voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It's 10.25 here on SENZ this Friday morning. It's panel time and uh, this morning I'm really pleased to be joined by Honey Harami Smiler, who, of course, uh, is fantastic sports uh, woman in her own right. Sevens, rugby league, rugby all for her country. Amazing achievement. And now, of course, a Sky Sport pundit uh, and a very good one as well. And also James McConey of uh, Crowd Goes Wild, Goes uh, Fame, and uh, a lot of other things that we can't mention Goes Fame as well. So uh, we can't talk about that. <laughs> what we can do, and I start with you. I will start with you, Honey, actually, to be fair. Um, Man, you, uh, Lisa Carrington, what the, what the, have, have, oh, I think we expected something special, but did we expect this much? Yes, yes, I think we did really. I think we hold uh, Lisa Carrington um, to a certain expectation because that's all we've known from her, um, that she continues just to exceed everyone's expectations. I think uh, when I watched that uh, race yesterday, the, the main thing that come to me is like she is the biggest legend ever in, in our history. Um, but for me, it's what stood out to me as one, that she's female, and secondly, she's Māori. I just was like, man, I was literally just saying to my wife this morning, this is our lifetime, this is our lifetime hero in, in our lifetime. And I'm so, so, so blown away by what Lisa's achieved. And it hasn't stopped yet uh, either, honey. It uh, might continue. And, uh, and and I'm not just talking about these Olympics. I mean, she's another event to come. But, uh, you know, she looks so fit, so strong, and enjoying what she's doing uh, as well, James, that you, were, you would imagine uh, Paris, uh, only three years away, could even now be on the radar. I know. She's going to be chasing, you know, sort of Phelps-like sort of stats with uh, three years to go. I'm sure she will stay in the game. Um, just uh, and beautifully said as well, honey. I love the fact that Lisa represents 
so much in our community that we, um, you know, that aren't normally sort of uh, on the top of the podium. And, and if you look back at our old Olympic history, you know, this is this is the new face of um, of the New Zealand Olympic team. Lisa is an incredible role model, and just FYI, her Maori side of the family is from Te Awamutu. Her dad Pat Carrington <laughs> went to Te Awamutu College and was a classmate of Neil Finns. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you always find gems for us, James. It's unbelievable. Here's a here's a little one for you, right? If you look at the medal table, and it, countries are all listed um, by the number of golds first, and then the number of total medals last. So golds first. Uh, Lisa Carrington is actually the the 18th best country in the world. How good's that? It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Better than Spain and Sweden, apparently. <laughs> okay, we won't talk about um, um, Scandinavian tennis players on this show. Okay, okay with you. or even Croatian Croatian ones either, or any of those ones. Honey, uh, look, hey, big big night tomorrow night, uh, Eden Park, of course, uh, and Nuggy, little uh, Aaron Smith plays his hundredth. Uh, what's your impression of what what he's managed to do in that black jersey? Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to him just before. And, uh, you know, I agree with him. I think he is, is if not, one of the all-time best halfbacks that we've, we've had in, in our All Blacks history. And, it, and it's, for me, I think it's the way he's changed the game, the tempo that he plays with, his, his ball service, and, um, you know, from that, that halfback role, and, and that he absolutely nails that core role, and, and it's an important you know position that he plays. But he's changed the way, the way that role... Um, I suppose has an impact on the game and it's almost like you can mould a team around a player like Aaron Smith and I think, you know, you I, I remember watching 2012 his debut and thinking what an, what an amazing moment uh, for for Aaron and we were in the uh, Go For Gold uh, New Zealand Sevens camp at the time down in Wairu and we were all watching it and, um, you know, now to be you know, tomorrow I'll be sitting on the panel um, the Sky you know Supporting him for his 100th, you know, it's it's just amazing his journey and and some of the things that he's had to come through and and overcome. But you can see it really in his last few years, the maturity has just come out, uh, you know, poured out of him both both on the field, but especially off the field too. He's just he's just an all-round great guy. Not bad for a fielding hairdresser on the way up, James. <laughs> I love the way Aaron Smith plays the game. Uh, he is our ghost of halfbacks. Eventually, you know, if he goes around to the, the next World Cup and wins it, uh, we're going to have to start talking about him up there with your Richie McCaws, your, your Colin Meads. I mean, I know I've pluralised them. There's only one of those. And there's only one Aaron Smith. And so that's the, that's the thing. He, his standards are so high. It's, it's hard to remember a bad test match by him. It's, it's, it's also... He's one of those guys where if if uh, opposition players talk about the All Blacks with reverence, they always mention or reference Aaron Smith. Mm. Good. Mm, it is staggering. It is absolutely staggering, and I think the opponents too. Uh, have that respect from Please, honey, uh, James, please stay with us. We're going to go to the news now. Uh, when we come back, another couple of topics I'd love your comments on. Here's Trudy. Big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.33 here on SENZ and uh, we've got the panel here, Honey Harami Smiler, uh, of course, and James McConey, Honey, RTS, Roger Tuavasa-Shek, 
uh, back in Auckland now. Point one, you're happy that he's back in Auckland. Point two, uh, this far out, they're looking at playing him on the wing early on in the piece. I'm not sure if you realise that, but this far out, where do you think he'll end up? Yeah, I think it's a good move to start him on the wing just to get get him back into sort of that, that rugby space and, and learning the game and just being able to see what's going on out wide. Um, I think eventually they'll shift him into a 13-12 position. Um, anywhere now, I think he'll be massively effective. I know there's a lot of talk about him playing out the back as well, but I think we're, for the game of rugby and how fast it is, I think he'll be a really effective uh, 12, possibly 13, and we could, you know... At the next World Cup, so I'm wearing a 13 um, for the for the All Blacks. If we're looking at positions possibly available, I think there's still a bit of fair bit of competition there. Um, but oh, I'm excited for for Roger. I think the nation is excited for Roger. The league community is sad to see him go, but because he's given so much to rugby league over so many years, um, there's a real I suppose aura about the rugby league community that we support him to go and follow his dreams because he has given so much to the game and, and now he's pursuing his, his dreams in the other code. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do this, this year um, and then develop his way through and hopefully some in the Black Jews in a couple of years. Nice sentiments there, honey. Uh, uh, really cool. Uh, James, uh, speaking of uh, committing so much to the cause and, and having a great career, um, it's all over Red Rover, it seems now, for... Nick Willis at the, the age of 38, the old man in the 1,500 metres this time. He was the old man in the 1,500 metres last time. But there he was again. Uh, man, what a career he has had. Yeah, he's exceptional. One of my favourite Olympic moments is watching him win bronze, which was upgraded to silver in uh, Beijing. And when you think about that uh, event, the 1,500, how competitive it is and how great he's been in it, it's just um, ridiculous, the standards he's set. And... Yeah, OK, he hasn't come away with an Olympic gold like some of uh, some of our uh, all-time greats of the past, but, you know, he's, he hasn't been far off. And, and we just have to acknowledge that his longevity, his high standards, he's just um, a superb athlete. And one thing on Roger Tuivasa-Shek, by the way, before we move on, is um, I've had a chat to uh, a couple of, well, one all-black selector in particular, who, um, <laughs> and I think they, they view him as a future 12. Um, but they were sort of okay. conflicted because they've got they've got our David Havili coming through as a as a sort of more of a finesse twelve, right? But I think of a blockbuster came through again, a big Ma'anonu style, Sonny Bill Williams style mm. twelve came through. Then they they um, they jump ship and go back to the the Bruiser, which is going to be interesting in years to come. And even Geordie Barrett has been mentioned as an option as a future twelve. Well, honey, what did you make of that All Black selection, uh, by the way? Are you ha- you're happy with Richie at 10, Bowden off the bench, uh, and the loose board trio? Yeah, I, I thought it was a really strong um, selection, probably the best. If, yeah, um, I suppose there's uh, the likes of Luke Jacobson, unlucky to miss out, but you know, uh, they put Artie in there and, and he still comes off the bench. Uh, Will Jordan, I think, probably the most unluckiest player. Um, but again, the, the quality that you've got sitting on the bench, it makes it um, really exciting when you sort of get to that 50, 60 minute mark. And, you know, I'm assuming the coaching um, uh, that they'll look at making those changes sort of 50, 60 out. So the likes of Richie, um, Wanga, uh, Mac, and, and that lot will probably just be focused on playing, you know, a really decent 60. And then you bring on such a quality bench. 
um, I think they they take it up another level and um, and we wrap this game up uh, quite comfortably. Um, I, I would say. James, what what are your predictions? And we're not going to see that uh, that hoodoo undone tomorrow, are we? No, I think the All Blacks will be too strong. It's quite an interesting team. Uh, Dalton Papali'i getting a start there at seven, and um, and also moving Rico Iwani back back to eleven. I know there's a lot of uh, rugby fans who think that still think that's his best position. Uh, I, I like the team in terms of skill level and excitement. Uh, it's probably they've gone for a, a smallish team in some regards. You know, there's a few, a few players out in that back line when you go. Richie Moonga, Damien McKenzie, Seva, you know, just a, you know, they're pocket size, but uh, it's not always about that sometimes in these um, test matches, the bled is low. I, I just think the Wallabies have got a work in progress. Uh, they, they've got a few players who we, you know, uh, for example, Tong and Thor off the bench, he is a handful, uh, and but their halves combo, uh, Lolisio and, and Tate McDermott, wow, they look promising, but they just seem a few years off for me. So, yeah, I think it's the All Blacks uh, comfortably. Honey, just finally. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think I think the, the All Blacks um, have probably had the better preparation. I know the, the Wallabies come in last week, and I know um, really awesome to see the likes of Craig Cooper being clawed in to, to give a bit of mentorship for the young uh, Seal in there, which uh, it sounds like that's really benefited the squad, and not not just young Noah, but, uh, you know, they've got quite a young uh, back line, and, you know, Tom Banks probably being your most experienced out the back there for the Wallabies. Um, but, you know, looking back at what they did against the French in that, in that last test and winning that series, uh, I think um, they'll come, they'll, they'll have it, they've, got a, they've named a quality side, uh, I just don't think they'll be able to uh, to, to match it with us um, come sort of that 50, 60 minute mark, I think we'll run them off the park. Okay, well, thanks very much, you guys. It's Honey, Hadami, Smiler, and uh, James McConey. They were the panel today. Uh, thanks very much for your thoughts and your input there. It's uh, 10.39 here on SENZ. Uh, very shortly, your calls, your texts here as we build to uh, 11 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, it's 10.44 here on uh, SENZ. In fact, just tipped over to 10.45. Gee, we had some great interviews this morning. Really love talking to John Andrews, uh, father of Elisa, who's, of course, silver medalist. Andrew Mertens came in. Angus Tataval, very honest and upfront about what they're up to and, and what they're working on in terms of the scrums with, with Greg Feek, uh, of course, in the panel, Honey and, and James very, very good, and uh, still more to come uh, just after 11 o'clock. We have Nick Willis joining us from Japan. Simply outstanding. And uh, thank you also for your, your text. It's been great coming in on 8833. Uh, here's, uh, here's one about Lydia Ko. I think you may be right about the heat getting to Lydia during the back nine. She seemed to lose a bit of confidence after socketing a wedge on the short par five. She did. She blocked it into a bunker, and then it was just awful. Uh, she's almost the worst on the LPGA and driving accuracy, 151st, I believe, at the latest count. Uh, that's not too good, but it shows how good the rest of the game is, that she's even contending after that. Her short game is very, very good. Uh, she can go low and be a middle shot if things go right for her, and she can handle the heat again today. Uh, really good. Okay, thanks for that. Nathan from Southland says, uh, Hi, Senza, R-S-E-N-Z. I'm looking, loving the show. Uh, I'd like to see a segment where the listeners get a, to compete against the hosts in a multi-bet. 
take the boys on in the morning. That'll be easier for you. Um, your ex- expertise against ours. Week after week, head to head, any chance of doing something like that, I shall put it forward. It'll probably take a board meeting uh, and some you know, written approval from Australia to get an extra 50 bucks because the, the breakfast boys spend it at lunch apparently. Uh, so we'll see what we can do. Uh, but certainly, Nathan, we'll look into that. Uh, just my opinion uh, on R- uh, RTS. Uh, I feel that he could be the next Nonu or Christian Cullen. Oh, that's pretty deep and meaningful. Uh, Smithy, I uh, have to say, have goosebumps listening to our show, Re Olympics. We're on the verge of something special, something very special, I agree. Uh, Smithy, great show. Warning bells ringing for me with the loose forwards. Blues pair have looked average when put under pressure by the Crusaders. I see the same thing happening with Aussie. Aussie will niggle them. They are big on celebrating minor achievements in the game, and one in particular thinks he is an enforcer. Okay, I think we can probably guess who that is. Uh, also, let's uh, hope for a rip snorter of a test, Smithy, and the Aussies come to the party. I feel it'll be a lot closer than we think. Uh, and finally, Neil from Berlin uh, says, from an ageing former club halfback, congratulations, Nuggy, on 100. Uh, we need a new set of words for Lisa Carrington as superlatives are no longer adequate. Hyperlatives, maybe. Really good, Neil. Thanks very much. And thank you uh, to everybody for their feedback on that. Uh, JD, <coughs> it seems um, inevitable, I think, that perhaps uh, Lisa, Lisa Carrington will be in front. Because one of the other things that she does, she seems to inspire those around her uh, to give their best and, and better than their best. And, and that's why I, I think in, in the next event as well, Big opportunity. And but have you got your mic on this time, just by the by, when I ask you a question? Yeah, exactly. Um, you could hear me last time, but the Thank listeners you. couldn't, so they're probably quite happy. But okay. no, um, Lisa Carrington, absolutely. I mean, we saw it in the K2 500, uh, or the K2 1000. She just inspired her teammate there, uh, Caitlin Regal. Uh, she'll be back in the boat with her today with the two others that were also in a K2 boat. And... The honey hit me smile is right. Um, the expectations are so high, and she delivers on them every time. So when I watch, I expect Lisa Carrington to win a gold. Uh, uh, I know K4, they haven't been on the podium before, but uh, I don't think you'd bet against it, Smithy, and that would be four gold medals at one Olympics. Will a New Zealander ever do that again? I mean, that is just ridiculous numbers of gold medals. Well, you can't say never, but unlikely. I mean, unlikely, it's... it's it's so hard to get dominance in your field once, but to do it across the board in so many different disciplines within that, uh, I find it intriguing. I, I find um, one of the things that gets me day after day is to see the, all these athletes competing under extreme pressure, and I've, I've cast my eye onto the, the 50k walk. Who'd like to walk 50k in those temperatures uh, on the hard surfaces uh, around uh, Tokyo at the moment? I, I'm not sure I would... Um, uh, our guy who's in the event, Quentin Rue, is not in the leading pack at the moment, but uh, still quite some margin to go. The, the other thing that uh, have, has been of interest to me, in the last day or so, John, looking at the cycling, I didn't think there were allowed crowds at the Olympics. I look at the cycling, and I reckon about uh, a third full that stadium, and you can't tell me they're all hangers-on or uh, officials or support staff. There's lots of families with kids in there. What the? What's going on all of a sudden over there? I don't know, but it's working for us. I, I, last night was so good in the velodrome. After the heartbreak of the team pursuit, missing out on the bronze and missing out on the gold medal ride by 0.09 of a second, then Aaron Gate uh, fracturing his collarbone and out of the Omnium, mm. uh, Campbell Stewart gets a last-minute call-up 
and he's dead and buried going into that fourth event of the Omnium in the points race. Dead and buried Smithy, but he passes the field not once, but twice he laps the field in that race and gets him back up from seventh to a silver medal. That is one of the best medals I think we've won at these Olympics because of the story behind it, that he was last minute, so far behind, and dragged it out. And Elise Andrews, just the surprise medalist of these Olympics, just incredible. So two silver medals out of the velodrome last night, and hopefully more from Elise tonight in the individual sprint. Absolutely, and there'll be more from Louis Herman Watt very shortly, uh, courtesy of uh, loveracing.nz, and we'll also visit the TAB. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Uh, here he is sitting in the studio looking for Lorne and his British Lions uh, jersey, his replica jersey, missing out on lunch with the pretty boys. Uh, Louis, but that means you're working, you're a workathon in uh, your own right, uh, and courtesy of loveracing.nz. What equine information have you for us today? Uh, well, actually, Smithy, you bring up lunch, and that's where I want to start with you. The horses can wait. Put them in the stables. The strappers are there standing next to them. Don't put your arms up in the air, JD. You know exactly where this is going, you absolute snake. Last Friday, Smithy, you know, we all work pretty hard here at SCNZ. JD and me have been going down to the pub. For lunch, we were watching the rowers. They had this unreal deal going, a pie, like it's awesome pie for 16 bucks. Big pie, mash. I said, let's get a couple of those. We had them. All of a sudden, JD, oh, I've got family commitments. Oh, righty rav. You know, I've had a beer. I need to go get on the road before I have another one. Yeah, sensible stuff. Commend that. Dine and dash. Absolute snake. Here I am, left with the bill. You'd think that the doyen would have taught JD, the law of the, the, you know, the Turk, you know, you're there, you pay your bill like a man, and, and somehow I've been left with this. I'm just a lowly paid bre- breakfast producer, mate. You think I can afford this? So we're going to go back to the pub today, and he's going to shout me, otherwise there's going to be serious, serious issue. Louis, yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic rant, and I appreciate it greatly, but unfortunately you lost me with the word pie. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because, believe it or not, I like a pie, uh, you know. It's hard. It's hard to run your, your you know, your thoughts have passed that. But I do not mind a pie. So, um, good luck today. That's all I can say. Good luck today. <laughs> um, all of all the very best in that regard. Because I've heard through the grapevine that JD has got seriously long pockets. Oh, long pockets, short arms. It's it's just <laughs> it's it's very very hard. What what? And I'll what? tell you what, fellas, a free pie tastes way better than one you bought oh, yourself. You're sick. Uh, so you're delicious. Sick. We'll go back for more, eh, Louis? You've, you're you've you're used sick. up your time as well. I tell you what, back dream queen tomorrow in the Northland Breeder Stakes, and then you can shout me too. All right, mate. Uh, good. Okay, that's good. Uh, all very well, uh, Louis, and and I wish you all the best, and I, I sympathise with the fact that they treat you as an equal from six to nine and they rubbish you and leave you on your own uh, after nine o'clock in the morning. But get used to it. McCullum and Dag, they have a history of it. Don't you worry about that. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 here on SENZ and... Really privileged time now uh, to be able to speak to the incredible Nick Willis, whose Olympic career came to an end last night, New Zealand time, uh, 2008 silver medalist, 2016 bronze medalist. 
uh, looking to qualify at the tender old age of 38 for his fourth 1,500-metre final uh, in a row. Wasn't to be. Uh, wasn't able to get uh, the job done on this occasion. Uh, we're so privileged and so happy that he's put his alarm clock especially on for us. Uh, good morning to you, Nick Willis. Um, how are you feeling this morning? Hey, Ian. Hey, it's a privilege just to be chatting with you, one of my sporting heroes as well. So thanks for having me. And no alarm ended up being needed. It's very hard to sleep after <laughs> you finish racing. I'm still wired up, you know, so no, it's, it's good to be on the call. Actually, I read something, Nick, where you went and had a game of touch rugby afterwards just to blow out any cobwebs. I'm sure there weren't any there, but that was the way you wound down after all this? We did. Um, some people like to go out to the pubs afterwards to celebrate, but for me it's doing all of the sporting activities that I've had to put on hold when I'm sort of tunnel vision with my running. So being able to play touch and other sports, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Santana and I took on six Irish people and then three Cook Islanders joined in, in the game as well. In the, in the early hours of the morning down in the village, it was a lot of fun. Oh, man, I wish someone had uh, been lucky enough to run a camera over that. I'll bet it would have been a, a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, look, it all began for you uh, way back at Hutt Valley High School, man, uh, Hutt Valley boy. So uh, take us back to those days when you got a passion, a, a love for what you, you've done so well. Yeah, no, it's quite funny because, like, some of my classmates and peers, they all would give me a lot of ribbing, you know. Forrest Gump had just come out and everyone would say, oh, run, Forrest, run. But those same guys became my biggest fans and they followed my racing around the world and would show up at the Beijing Olympic Games with the high rugby jerseys on and travel all around the globe to watch me race. So unfortunately, they weren't able to be here today. But um, no, um, my roots in the Hutt Valley, it's a proud sporting area and I, I played rugby and did the local athletics club and golf and table tennis and all the sports. So it was a really good foundation as a youth um, to be able to leapfrog into a, a serious one focus of sport um, later on in my life. Well, Nick, you won the 800 and 1500 double at the New Zealand Secondary Schools Champs back in 2000 uh, and you also became the fastest New Zealand secondary school student over a mile uh, with a time of uh, way back then, even four minutes, 1.33. So I guess uh, that pretty much, with that success, that determined your early pathway? Yeah, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life when I was just finishing sixth form. I think that's year top 12 in modern day speak. Um, but suddenly my final year in high school, I had my growth spurt and things started clicking and... Um, Running definitely started to be a realistic pathway. I I was a kid from the hut, but I really wanted to experience and see the world, and running seemed to be the best way to do that. And so once I ran those times, and um, a lot of doors opened for me, and I was able to get a scholarship to pretty much any university in America that I wanted to choose from, and I wanted to be coached by the great Ron Warhurst, who had um, had success with a Canadian athlete, Kevin Sullivan, who was fifth at the 2000 Olympics, and that was my final year in high school. So I said, if I can come over there, that'd be fantastic. And ever since then, it's been a great relationship. He's a grandfather figure to my kids now and a best friend to my wife. And um, we've been on this journey together the last 19 years, and it was really special to have him there in, in the stadium and at the warm-down track last night after the race, Ron Warhurst. Oh, that is incredible. It's it's great that... Um even through um, all the, uh, the rigmarole that we're going through with COVID in the world, you were able to achieve that at least and have that, that special person in your life with you. Nick, uh, when you were 
when you're setting your your targets on you know the likes of middle distance running and the and the fifteen hundred meters, uh, you had a legacy to fill in of Lovelock and Snell and Walker. Um, you know you must be proud that you've done that and done that more really uh, because they were some big running shoes literally to fill. Yeah, and I feel actually quite privileged that I grew up just before the internet really started taking off and when I started getting hooked on this running culture, there wasn't anything available online. So I went down to the local library and the only things in the running section were the autobiographies of our great runners. And so I, I just poured through and through, no bugles, no drums, a Peter Snell, championed by John Walker and Kiwis Can Fly, the... Um, Agnew book and it was just fantastic like getting the inside scoop of these guys so I really felt like they were my friends at that stage it was different than just hearing or re or watching them um, and so that really set the tone and I, I got an insight of their mentality and especially Snell and Walker like they had ice in their veins that they felt like that they belonged and that they were the intimidating force the alpha in the call room before the race and I, I really try to embrace and take on that um, persona when, when it was my time to finally have that opportunity as well. And Nick, it's, it's really, I, I guess you're going to have the opportunity now to finally uh, to reflect on, on what a time in your life it's been. Uh, could you take us uh, back to those, those medal winning performances um, and, and just reflect a wee bit on your silver and, and your bronze? Yeah, it's, it's all been a, a whirlwind the last 15 years. It's hard to sometimes step back and think about it. But going back to Beijing, I was I think I was ranked 13th going into the game. So sure, I had a chance of making the final and maybe even like sneaking into the top five. But did I really believe a medal chance was possible? I hoped, but like deep down, I probably didn't really believe it. And I remember the last lap as I slowly picked off one runner at a time, one runner at a time, and then coming into the home straight, I was in sixth place and then guys were fading and I suddenly find myself in third place with 50 metres to go. I was like, you're kidding me, I'm in third place in the Olympic freaking games. Like, I, I just couldn't believe it. But then I had to hold off the, the fast-charging Frenchman, Mehdi Bala, and held him off and um, dove for the finish line. And that was like the agonising minute. It felt like an eternity until the results came up on the scoreboard. And that really was just... The unbelievable moment to think this kid from Lower Hutt had had the opportunity to do what I couldn't have even dreamed of but I was such a fan of the sport that I got to be the the protagonist in, in the story that I'd already always watched as a fan you know, it was, it was a very, very special experience and then in Rio, eight years later obviously I'd had the disappointment in London where I was one of the favourites and I was quote unquote failed in London, I was only ninth and faded in the end but um, Rio was a, a real redemption experience and I'd um, overcome a lot of different setbacks and it's sort of just a, a, a very satisfying in a different way um, to be able to do it eight years after the fact and in a very different type of race. It was much slower. It was for the youth, right? It was a slow race with the big sprinters, but here I was a 33-year-old able to um, to hold my own in a, in a fast last 400-meter race and so it was nice to know that I was able to win medals at both ends of the spectrum. It sort of really it solidified that I wasn't just a one-trick pony or a one-hit wonder, and um, it really gave me sort of an opportunity to be satisfied with my career no matter what happens outside of that. And um, Yeah, both very special experiences and things that I I'm, I'm, will be ever grateful for. 
Now, can you just take us back to, to last night uh, and the you know the four or five, maybe six minutes involved in the the last second preparation uh, and the, the the quick aftermath afterwards? What what was going through your mind before the race and and your immediate thoughts afterwards? Yeah, honestly, I had no nerves whatsoever the whole time I've been here in the village. It's it's been very calm. I've been excitable as well, hanging out with young Sam Tanner. It's, it's been a lot of fun sort of living vicariously through his first experience and reminding myself of Athens. But um, mostly what was going through my head was like my eight-year-old son, Lachlan, was watching back home on TV. He couldn't be here. And I was like, I want him to be proud of me. Like all I thought about is my, my boys, my three-year-old Darcy was also watching. He's not quite old enough to understand now, but he'll watch it in the future on YouTube. I them to be proud of their daddy, you know, that was the most important thing to me. And so I was thinking about them um, the whole time on the start line. As the camera went past, I said hi to them as I'd promised. And I knew that they'd be saying hi back. And no matter what happened, I knew it was going to be tough, but I was going to run a race that they would be proud of their daddy. That's really what I was focused on. As I crossed the finish line, I knew I was outside of the top seven, so there wasn't any chance of me advancing. But then I saw at the time, I was like, wow, I never thought that was possible anymore. I'd sort of allowed father time to, to get the best of me mentally probably the last couple of years. And my coach had always said I was capable of the 334 this season. I thought he was crazy, but turns out he was a genius and he was right all along and probably was capable of that sort of time in the perfect type of race. Um, so, yeah, definitely left with a lot of pride and a little bit of sadness not to be able to be in, in the final race. You come here to, to give yourself a chance of getting on the podium, right? But um, ultimately very proud of how I performed and to run my best race in four years um, shows that I, I seem to need the Olympics to give me that extra accountability to do all of the little things, which sometimes I can be a bit lazy with. Um, so it definitely helped me up my game. Nick Willis is with us, folks. Uh, it's, this is great. It's a, this is a great story. Uh, and, you, you know, one of the things I admire most about you, Nick, is that 95% of athletes that perform uh, around the world, sure, they'd have a lot of travel in normal situations without virus to overseas meets, etc., like that. But they do so much of their pro preparation at home, uh, and they do it with New Zealand people around and, and you know, the environment uh, that is, is the one that they are actually performing for. You don't. And, you know, if you've made the sacrifice... Uh, how hard has it been? What has it made you to pull on that black vest all the time and be so New Zealand about the whole deal when you're surrounded by most things that aren't New Zealand? Yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm naturally extroverted anyway, so I, I make friends and community quite easily whenever I've travelled. And um, when I went to university in America, university life is really, really team environment like you really embrace the identity of your university and so the University of Michigan has become a second home to me um, I still really embrace my my roots in New Zealand and have been able to come home for two or three months every American winter and spend time with my family in Wellington and then we we have roots down in, um, in Wanaka down there as well we own a, a section of land down in Howard yeah. and it's really important to us but I have a, a really strong community of, of people that are near and dear to me in America as well. And my wife's from Michigan, her extended family and people in the church and people in the university. And, and my coach, Ron, has become a family um, as well. So basically, I get the best of both worlds. I can chase the sun and always have um, a sense of being home. And my wife and my kids, we've always traveled together. I'm not away from them, when, except for here now because of COVID. They can't be here at the Olympics. But... 
for the last 15 mm. years we've been doing this as a family business so it hasn't felt like i've been living out of a suitcase like home is where our family is and so it's airbnb or hotels or apartments around the world throughout this time and i think that's a huge part of the reason why i've been able to do this for so long without getting burnt out nick what now what now for nick willis and, and family willis yeah it's a, it's a really good question I'm, I'm very fortunate that i've already started my sort of professional career so to speak I, I work for a, a running brand called Tracksmith and I'm in the marketing team there so I don't have to worry about like what next in terms of paying the bills um, but from a running standpoint obviously my body feels amazing and I'm quote-unquote improving still I sort of think of my post Rio life as, as a, a reset button now that I'm, I'm a master's athlete over 35 so yeah, I've, I've committed to my training partners that I'm going to train for the next three years to help them with their preparations for the next Olympics. And I don't know what my desire is in terms of racing, but I'm really enjoying training. We have a wonderful environment down at the track. My kids just adore all of the guys that I train with every day. So I want to go down to the track. So they're around all these these great people who are, um, are like uncle figures or big brothers to them. So yeah, we just have a, a really good community of, of runners and where we train and Hopefully, it'll give me opportunities to still travel um, on other people's dime to New Zealand and to Europe each summer. So, yeah, I'll, I'll keep doing it. I, I'm not retiring per se, but I, I don't have any specific goals in mind right, as we as we speak. Here's one you might have: 19 years in a row. This is a world record. 19 years in a row, you have run a sub four minute mile. Next year's not that far away, mate. It'd be a shame to stop at a. Um, a prime number, wouldn't it? You got to go up to twenty. So, yeah, we've we've got some some plans and work um, to to make a fun attempt at that and, and build it up. So that that should be a lot of fun. And hopefully, my body holds out. But I'm going to start taking a few more risks. I've, my friends and I have signed up for a, a rec basketball league. That's something I haven't been able to do for the last twenty years. Um, that was a a big um, sport of mine when I was a kid, and I'll try and bring out my Peter Pokai back on the on the court and so hopefully I don't twist <laughs> an ACL or anything but yeah I'm gonna have a lot of fun and uh just just finally before we let you go and it's been fantastic talking to you I've got to say uh the black singlet how much will you miss it mate uh I'm definitely going to keep the ones that they've given me here for myself a lot of the other games that I've been um signing and giving off for auctions and different things like that or trading with other um, countries who would like the singlets. But um, yeah, the, the, this one's going to probably mean more than even the ones that I framed when I won the medals. Um, it's going to be likely my last Olympic my last Olympic vest. And so, yeah, I'm going to cherish it as much as I can. Not, But it's not the physical things. It's, it's really the experiences that I'm going to cherish most. What was most special about these games for me, above all of these things, was spending this whole week with Sam Tanner at the time in our training camp in Hawaii beforehand. He's the future of middle distance running in New Zealand, and um, it's a real privilege that our careers have crossed paths at the beginning of his and the end of mine, that sort of bridges that gap that I never got to experience, um, sort of being under the tutelage of a Rod Dixon or a John Walker. Um, so it's, it's been really fun spending this whole week with him and um, I really look forward to supporting him in the future as well. Nick Willis, uh, on the subject of being a privilege uh, and an honour and fun, actually, uh, I thank you for your time this morning. Uh, it's been brilliant to speak to you so soon after your final event uh, at the Olympics and, and uh, just 
uh, hearing you speak, it's quite motivating actually, and and uh, I'm sure that our our audience has enjoyed every single minute of this interview. I certainly have. In honour, my friend, travel well, and uh, let's let's just hope uh, your reunion with your family is in a very short space of time and a wonderful one at that. Uh, that was Nick Willis, folks. Um, maybe you've got a reaction to that. 8833 as uh, our text line. Uh, and also our phone line is 0800-150-811. A nice emotional call about Nick Willis might make you caller of the month. Uh, you could win an All Blacks experience courtesy of Ballpark Entertainment. I've got to take a, a bit of a breath after that. That was uh, so inspiring. The stumps to behind the mic. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.25, uh, moving up towards midday here on SENZ. Uh, really gratifying uh, to know that you folks were listening and enjoying that uh, Nick Willis interview and responding to it as well. Gee, Smithy, what a great chat with Nick Willis. Comes as across as a really cool dude. Uh, you're not wrong there, Brian. He certainly does. You can see why he's uh, so relaxed and everything going into some of his events. G'day, Smithy. Missed the multi this morning. We'll give you that uh, details of that before uh, 12. In fact, I can tell you now. Uh, you missed the multi this morning. Um, it is the Rabbitohs to beat the Slippery Eels at a buck thirty-one. Uh, Sweden to beat Canada at a dollar eighty in the Olympic women's football, and the Northern Mystics at one dollar sixty uh, to win uh, the ANZ Netball Championship over the Mainland Tactics. That will be for a return of three dollars seventy-seven. Inspiring to see that Nick says Dean uh, wants to continue mentoring and guiding others through their athletics journey. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you there. You, you get the feeling he's so so involved with athletics and, and the community he's living in and the racing fraternity he's got around him um, that he will be inspiring and coaching, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, what an interview, inspiring for sure, Mr Willis. He is a champion, and no doubt at all there. Cheers, uh, Zimo, for making contact with me this morning. Um, and also, it uh, wouldn't be a morning, as we said yesterday, without Patty and Lulu coming in. Bring on the ice queen today, Smitty. Uh, Lisa, she is so relaxed. What a star. I'll be cheering her and on and the great times uh, ahead, maybe this afternoon as well. Uh, thanks for that. If Lisa medals again this Olympics, we need a public holiday in her honour. Uh, there might be a bit of a dig that actually, but I'm, uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. Carrington Day? Yeah, Lisa Carrington Day? I'd, I'd run with that. Hmm, not a bad one at all. Uh, Mark from Palmy. Uh, I know they are allowed limited crowd at the velodrome. I think it's because it's not actually in Tokyo. It's about two hours out, I believe. Okay, that's a good point. Uh, I know this is the reason they were allowed a limited crowd at the mountain biking as well. So, hey, Mark, uh, really appreciate you getting in touch, and, and thanks for your insight on that. And you could be exactly right on that. I know in some events, of course, they can't stop them watching uh, because uh, they, uh, you know, they're along the roadside at the walk, for instance. Right now, I'm watching good crowds there, the marathons, etc. Um, and so, <coughs> they've had a, a little taste of it. But uh, one of the great regrets uh, will be for everyone that took part in these Olympics is it's that lack of atmosphere. Imagine uh, a full crowd alongside the riverbank uh, for Lisa Carrington. Imagine the atmosphere you would get out of that. A great interview, truly one of New Zealand's great Olympic athletes, Nick Willis. Uh, cheers for that, Charlie. You are spot on. He is absolutely. Um, JD, uh, what else have we, we got in store? Oh, we haven't even really mentioned Tom Walsh. We talk about tears. Talk about tears from the big man. Uh, Tom Walsh, he, he won uh, a bronze last night with his final throw. 
He was just absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, I think I'm happy with, with how I performed the distance and, the, and the, I guess the outcome, for sure. A goal would sound, look, feel much better, but I gave myself a chance, which is the main thing. Once again, you drape the New Zealand flag around you. You've just done the lap of honour. Yeah. How does this one compare to Rio five years ago? Uh, feels awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the last 18 months for everyone hasn't been easy. And uh, to be standing here now with, with a flag on my back, it's pretty cool. Well, that was Kirsty Stanway with him inside the uh, Olympic Stadium alongside Tom Walsh there. I would imagine she had to give him a big fat hug after that. Uh, all those tears rolling around those those cheeks, those successful cheeks. Uh, hi, Smithy and JD. When Nick got promoted to his first silver medal, uh, they reckoned the gold medal winner was a drugs cheat as well. That's cheers from Anthony. So may well be the case, but uh, too far back in time to check on that one now, Anthony. Thank you very much for getting hold of us. Uh, speaking of phones and phone calls and opportunities, here it is. You've got the chance to stump Smithy on this Friday. Win 50 bucks worth of vouchers from the TAB. Give us a call now, 0800 150 811. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, and welcome into Stumped by Smithy. Very popular segment, this one. We've had a lot of Aucklanders calling through this week, but not today. We've got Reed from the Deep South. G'day, Reed. How you going, fellas? I'm going great. Smithy's going good. He's won a couple of multis this week. Can't keep the smile off his face. Absolutely loving it. Um, Southland, before we get into the quiz... Uh, how are you feeling about the NPC this year? Yeah, I think um, probably going to be another reflection of another another year, hard year for the, the Southland boys. Um, looking at the team, well, Marty Banks going to be a huge, um, you know, huge ad- additive to the team. Absolutely, in more ways than one, he'll be sinking a few spates as the season goes on, and so will you. If you win today, you'll get a fifty dollar TAB voucher. Um, three sporting categories, then get three questions right, and you win that voucher. So you're Categories today are netball, summer Olympics, and golf. What are you going to go for, Reed? I'm going to have to go for netball. Netball, love it in the deep south. Netball capital of the world. All right, let's get started. Love it, Reed. No one chooses netball, but you have, and I think Smithy won't have a chance. Um, All right, number one. How many World Cups have the Silver Ferns won? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. That is incorrect. Smithy, a chance for a stumping. Three. He's got him. He's out caught. No, Smithy. No, they have won five Netball World Cups. Oh, my God. Can you remember back in 1967? You would have been alive, Smithy. I'm not sure about you, Reid. No, definitely not. No. So 1967, 1979, 1987. What a year for New Zealand that was. 2003 and, of course, 2019. So, Reid, you continue to question number two. Who is the most capped silver fern of all time? Laura Langman. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. And away it goes. No hesitation. Beautifully done. Do you know how many test matches she played in the uh, black dress? 
I'm going to take a real stab in the dark and say 145. Not bad. Smithy, how many do you reckon Laura Langman played? About 132. 163. Man, she was awesome. The GOAT. The GOAT. And all right, for the final question read and your chance to secure that $50 TAB voucher, which three silver ferns from the 2019 World Cup winning team were known as the Fossils? Uh, Casey Carpire, Laura Langman, and I am going to go with... Oh. Come on, Reed. No, it wasn't a horse. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. Time's the radio running out. Pressure, um, yeah, mate. That music. It's the music. It is. Um, oh, I'm just going to take it a stab in the dark and say. Oh. You're not going to say anything at this rate. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, oh. It's a hard one to Google too, the fossils. Oh no, yeah, I'm not Googling. Say, I'm Google, um, nah, Google, but uh, slow down in there, Gore. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no, nah, oh Jesus, fellas. Um, Gonna have to get something out of you. Yeah, I'll give you yeah, a clue. Uh, is, is New Zealand, New Zealand born, John? New Zealand born or not? I think New Zealand born. Yes, Smithy, but doesn't okay. live in New Zealand oh, anymore. Yeah. 2019, oh, Maria Flair. There he goes, all the way up into the stand. What a hit in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. Good things take time, and boy, that felt like an eternity. But you got there, Reid. Well done, mate. $50 TAB voucher. Stay on the line. We'll get your details. And, yep, stat, what is it, antlers up? Is that what they say down in Southland? Yeah, yeah antlers up, that's it. Yeah, mate, good stuff. Yeah. Great Thanks, to have you calling. Awesome job you're doing too, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Excellent. I'm sure he's just talking about the quiz section there, Smithy, and not the entire show, but, you know, you can take a bit of reflected glory there. Yeah, no, look, uh, I can tell straight away that Reed's a genuine man and he's going to genuinely invest all that money on the genuine Southland Stags, and on Monday morning he'll be ringing up looking for more. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Smithy, I've actually got, a, got something that we're going to start today that I haven't actually run past you because I didn't want you to do too much homework. Uh, because right. after the break, we're going to have an NPC tipping competition between you and me. Uh, you can play along at home. Just uh, pick head-to-head who's going to win each match over the weekend, and then at the end of the season, we'll decide who is the champion between me and you. Who is the provincial legend? Is it the Bird Gang of Ian Smith in the Hawks Bay, or is it Fins Up, uh, John Day and the Tasman Muckle? John, I don't do anything for nothing. You come up with a prize. All right, you go to the prize cabinet, speak to the powers that be, send an email across to Australia, now get something sent over because I'm not going all that work over a long period of time just to say I'm better than you. You know why? Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.42 here on SENZ, um, making our way towards uh, Staffy. Uh, this afternoon from 12 to 4, we'll have a, a chat with the man just before midday. John, you, we've got this thing going. I reckon we should uh, re, reunite uh, or relive old moments when we used to work together on another show, uh, when we used to put a ham up. Remember that old Christmas ham? Put it up for grabs. And uh, I think Paul has just texted in actually, and thanks very much, Paul. 
So on behalf of Paul, we're going to do that. We'll put a Christmas ham on this competition. Love Good it. Luck. You got the draw this weekend? Yeah, mate, absolutely do. MPC, favourite competition ever. Starts tonight in Palmerston North, of course. It doesn't get more heartland, really, than Palmerston North. Manawatu, the Turbos and the Bucket Heads in the stands, up against Counties Monaco, who have Hoskins Satutu on board, Smithy. Uh, so this could be an interesting one. Who are you going to tip? Manawatu. You're going to tip the home me. team? Yep, who do you want? I'm going to go Counties Monaco, so straight away we are okay. different. I can smell yeah. that ham cooking already. Game one, week yeah, one. Yeah, well, that's good. Probably <laughs> bacon coming from my kitchen, but moving on. <laughs> Pukakura Park is sold out for Saturday afternoon. Five past two, Taranaki against your mob, Hawks Bay. Uh, look, heart, heart, heart head, you know one of those sayings, heart head? Mm-hmm. Uh, heart says... Uh, Hawks Bay, but I believe with that atmosphere at Pukakura Park, uh, I think the Naki might just get Hawks Bay, and I'm I'm sorry about that, but now that there's a ham at stake, I've got to be serious about the deal. So uh, I will be taking Taranaki. My word, turning on your home team in week one. Unbelievable. Is that happiness mm. insurance? Like when your team loses, you're still happy because you bet on the other team? No, I suppose there's a little bit of that involved there, John, but uh, I just think, you know, uh, there are a bigger fish... Uh, for Hawke's Bay, and uh, they're called the Ranfurly Fish. Yeah. So we'll, we'll just see. We'll yeah. just see. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm back in Hawke's Bay. I think they'll get up there. So different in two games so far. Uh, this could be a relatively straightforward one. Wellington against Northland, Saturday 5 past 2 at the Caketon. No Beavana this weekend. I am going next weekend, though, to Beavana. Looking forward to that. So um, Wellington against Northland, who you got? Wellington. No problem with the Lions there, absolutely no problem at all. Yeah, they've got a couple of guys you may have heard of, uh, TJ Pedernata and Asafaro Moore, uh, playing for Wellington okay. against Northland, so I'm going them as well. So we both agreed on that one. Massive game, this one. 4.35 on Saturday, Forsyth Bar Stadium, Otago against a rejuvenated Southland side who got a couple of wins and beat Otago last year. Marty Banks on board, like we heard from Reid. Uh, who you got, Otago Southland under the roof? Otaga, Otaga. Targa. Got them. Targa, yep. mate. Yeah, I got Targa as well. Uh, pretty solid side. A lot of exciting outside backs. I think Vili Karoy is coming off the bench. And Freedom Vahakolo set the uh, comp on a light last year. Looking forward to seeing him play again. So two Otagos there. And now the real stuff on Sunday, five past two. Tauranga Domain, Bay of Plenty Steelers, semi-finalists last year in the Premiership. Uh, but they did get beaten by the eventual champ, champions, Tasman. That's who they play on Sunday. Bay of Plenty, Tasman. Smithy, who you got? I'll take Bop. I'll take Bay what? of Plenty at home. I will take Bay of Plenty at home. Ridiculous. That's a very, very, very good bet, actually. Bay of Plenty at home to knock over the defending champions. Is Easy. it just because I'm wearing my Tasman top on footy shoot Friday and you want to rile me up? No, John, I'm thinking uh, just through facts and figures here. Yep. Uh, and I do believe that at home, uh, at that stadium, they'll get a great atmosphere, and I think they'll prevail. They have plenty of steamers to start the season on a positive and successful note. Fair enough. Yeah, Tasman light on numbers with so many All Blacks because they're just so successful, but I think they'll still win uh, and get their campaign off to a good start. So put me down for the Markle. And then also on Sunday, North Harbour against Waikato. North Harbour Stadium or North Harfa Stadium because uh, they never quite finished the other Grand Slam on the other side. But um, five past two, Harbour against the Mulus. Who you got? Um, I, I will take um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm swaying towards uh, home advantage, as you can see all the way through here. Yeah. Uh, and I got a sneaking, a sneaking the Harbour boys will knock over Waikato. There you go. Wow. Harbour to beat the Mulu. Picking Lord many Harbour. upsets. This is going to be a hell of a multi if you put all these leagues together. Smithy, I'm going to go for the yep. Mulus. Um, just because I liked what they did last year. They had some really lean years, but I think that spirit and that pride was back in the jersey last year. you got Liam Messon back again, which is unbelievable. Mm. He's a, a quality performer. So, And then this could be the game of the round, I think, Smithy. Eden Park, the old rivals, Auckland against Canterbury. Auckland absolutely stacked this season. Canterbury, you know, it was their title for so many years in a row. They've struggled in the last couple of years. Who are you going for this one? Uh, Auckland. I believe Auckland will uh, start the season on a, a really good note there. Harry Plummer, the captain. Uh, Alama Itamir, the coach, of course. Stephen Bates involved as, as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's too much of an issue uh, with that. We, we talked to uh, Coach McGrath as well during the week, and uh, he was pretty positive about the whole thing, as, the whole deal and the way it's come together. So I'm picking Auckland at home. Massive weekend for Auckland in terms of sport. But, yeah, Auckland over Canterbury. Yeah, yeah, I'm backing you there as well. I just think it's a massive year for Auckland. They're stacked in that squad. Losing a final at home last year would have hurt, so I think they will be massively motivated. So there we go. Quite a di- uh, different selections there. I think we've got about four different uh, there, so it should be a hell of a first week of the NPC. And, of course, Smithy, you're going to be at the Test Match tomorrow night. I'd love to hear your thoughts of just how you think it's going to play out tomorrow night at Eden Park. Bledisloe low one. Uh, look, I, I believe the All Blacks will win and win comfortably. I really do. Um, I think they've got every reason to play well. Uh, they, they defend um, that great legacy of, of, of what is Eden Park, so I don't think there's a problem there. Uh, on what I've seen, I just don't think there's enough class in the Wallabies yet. There's, there's, there's desire, there's will, and they're a very well-coached side, of course, and, and that's undoubted. But I think class prevails on the big occasions more often than it doesn't. And, of course, Aaron Smith, uh, the motivation of Aaron Smith, you don't want to put that silver cap on your head if you've just lost to Australia. So he'll be getting that after the game. 100 test matches. So many reasons to play well. Uh, and Ian Foster, you know, uh, these are the kind of occasions that he has to win uh, to make sure that he, he keeps the gig for a lot longer and all those around him as well. So uh, there is a lot of reasons why I think that the All Blacks will win and I think 13 plus, John. Yeah, no, I agree, especially after listening to Andrew Mertens. He's watched a lot of these Wallabies. He lives over there these days and he's run through that back line and that does not scare me at all. Tate McDermott, Noah Lolisio, uh, you know, Paisami and Ikatao in the midfield, uh, Callaway and Pattaya on the wings. I like Jordan Pattaya, good, exciting young player, but out on the right wing and then Tom Banks. So for me, that back line just pales in insignificance to the All Blacks back line, which is very strong with Rico back on the wing and D-Mac. And then the benches are just... Complete opposites, I think. I know you've got Tamur and Reese Hodge, a lot of experience coming on, but for me, with those three Barrett brothers, I mean, that is a massive luxury for the All Blacks to have to bring them on to finish the game. So, yeah, expecting a big win and a great call from you and the Sky Boys tomorrow night, Smithy. Yeah, tomorrow night, Nisbo, uh, Mills, Muliaina, and myself are on deck. So, uh, looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a very, very special occasion. Uh, Ten minutes before midday, Staffy, very shortly, just to round up uh, our show and to preview his. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.55 here on SENZ. I can tell you Lydia Coe has played one hole in her third round. 
Uh, and she didn't bogey it, she didn't birdie it, she parred it. So she's still at five under and about four shots off a medal at the moment, by my estimation. Long way to go. Uh, our Olympic updates are brought to you by Choices Flooring. Visualise a room view. It's the easiest way to transform your home with new flooring and rugs. Speaking of uh, transforming, we're going to transform morning into afternoon very shortly. Uh, and that means Mark Stafford uh, is uh, in the chair, already poised to go. Uh, gee, uh, uh, you know, every now and then you have an interview you feel really warm and fuzzy about. Nick Willis, man, that was cool this morning, just after 11 for us. So I really did enjoy that. I, actually, I missed I it, Smithy, um, but I will. I actually often listen to the interviews after my show that you did on yours on, on the podcast, and, and and I love that they just clip off the interviews and you can just pick and choose. So, yeah, massive admiration for Nick Willis. I'll be definitely tuning in to have a replay listen to that. Steph, uh, where's your money tomorrow night uh, as an analyst? Um... I'm weary of the Wallabies, strangely, uh, being Eden Park. Uh, oh, being Eden Park, they shouldn't win, but I feel like they've had the better preparation. Everyone's saying it was only France B or France C, but it was still France. And I think we were tested in some fairly serious areas in our warm-up matches. And every year, I think the Wallabies' best chance is in the first test. Always, every year, the first test. And they will target things. I think they'll target Akira Iwani to try and get us down to 14 players. Um, I still think the All Blacks will win, yes, but I guess I'm a broken record. Every year, if the Wallabies are going to win, it's it's match one. And weather out there at the moment, Smithy, is very snotty. If it's like that last night, that always brings teams closer together as well. And the amazing thing, and I heard Israel Dag say this morning, the Wallabies are never short of confidence. They could lose 15 games in a row and they're still believers. I think a lot of athletes could take lessons off them for that. But um, they've got some wonderful players, wonderful players. They're missing one, though, who got a bit thirsty at the wrong time of night. Um, he's a big loss. Yeah, interesting, eh? Uh, why would you do that when you... You know you're under scrutiny these days, and Peter Fitzsimons yeah. uh, earlier in the week was really ripping into that, that stupid behaviour. Um, however, especially when you've already had a red card, that wouldn't help either. So, uh, Steffi, um, uh, one of your passions, of course, uh, is um, this year it's the Bunnings NPC and your your faithful, your beloved Turbos. What kind of season do you think the Turbos might have? I think um, they'll have a better end of the season than start. And what I mean by that, they've got a lot of new recruits. Uh, they've got a very good coach. And just some, they filled up some key holes. They've got some big, pacey, fast wides. Um, there's a guy in the team, Smithy, I want you to keep an eye on, Josiah Maraku, who's uh, he sort of got into the turbos, got a bit injured, lacked a bit of confidence. He's in at centre this season. He's played a bit of wing, filled in a little bit of fullback, but he's centre with Jason Emery, a wonderful, wonderful brain for the game at second five. And, of course, a, a one-test all-black and Brett Cameron at 10. So the 10, 12, 13 for the turbos and... Josiah Maraku, uh, Gisborne Boys High product, I think he is. Looking forward to seeing him develop. He's rapid and he's exciting. Right, Mark Stafford after midday. Didn't even get a chance to ask you who you've got, Stafford. I know it'll be a power-packed show leading into such a busy weekend of sport. Uh, my thanks in particular this morning to Trudy, as always, uh, to Brian Rarari, who has uh, been on panel and getting the phone calls through from all parts of the world. And to John Day, 
I give you I give you a good mark this morning, John. You know why? You got Nick Willis amongst others, and you're not getting one because you're a fins up. I promise you that. You're getting a good one because you got Nick Willis and speaking to a the champion like that. Pretty much made my sport. week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.